but moving on. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, look into the Word of God in Genesis specifically. We're going to be looking at Genesis 50 as we get very, very close to finishing up. One more sermon, and then we are done with our journey through Genesis, our sojourn in it. I hope it has been profitable to you as it has been profitable to me to uh, consider all the things that the Lord teaches us there. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking today about verses 113 uh, through 13, rather, and the funeral of Jacob. But before we turn our attention to God's word, we do ask uh, or need to ask for his assistance in understanding it. Let's go before him now. Oh, sovereign Lord, I do thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given us. Lord, we are about to look at the funeral of a great man. There are events uh, in life that should be marked out. We have spoken of birthdays and anniversaries, but now we will talk about funerals and why they're important as well, why they are a marker, and certainly not simply the marker of an end. We look at gravestones and we see a birth date and a death date, but for the Christian, the line goes on. Oh, Lord... We pray that you would help us to understand that this evening. Give us vigor. Give us understanding. Help us to perceive the spiritual truths here. And help me, O Lord, to unfold your word. Let me say nothing that is not in keeping with it. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 Genesis chapter 50. Reading verses 1 through 13. And I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Then Joseph fell on his father's face. And wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my uh, grave which I dug for myself uh, in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. One of the, uh, well, it has to be actually the grandest and the most moving funeral that I have, uh, state funeral, that is, that I've, I've uh, ever seen in my life. 
And that was, of course, the state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, Queen Elizabeth died at Balmoral, her home in Scotland, on September the 8th, and her body lay in rest at St. Giles Cathedral, that was actually John Knox's cathedral, in Edinburgh from the 11th to the 13th of September. And the public then went past her coffin, tens of thousands of Scots uh, saw it, and then her body was taken to London, where it lay in state in Westminster Hall for five days from late afternoon on the 14th of September to the early hours of the 19th of September, and approximately 250,000 members of the public queued uh, in order to see Elizabeth II's coffin. At its longest, the queue was 10 miles long. Uh, she was finally laid to rest on the 19th, and when she was laid to rest, her funeral itself was attended by 18 monarchs, 55 presidents, and 25 prime ministers. I have little doubt that it will be uh, the largest state funeral uh, probably for decades. One of the things that was uh, happy about it, because Elizabeth is a, or was, no, actually Elizabeth is a Christian. That's a wonderful uh, thing to contemplate. Her funeral service followed the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, written by her forefathers, and therefore it was full of scripture. It was full of that genuine Christianity that her forefathers had believed. And once again, it's interesting, John Knox was one of the, uh, the primary authors of the first of the Books of Common Prayer. So a Presbyterian helped to write the, uh, the prayer service for an Anglican queen. But in any event, she had reigned for 70 years, but ultimately, Everyone knew that eventually her reign would come to an end. As Isaiah 40, verse 6 reminds us, uh, all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it, and surely the people are grass. Now, we just read about another state funeral, another massive state funeral, the funeral of Jacob, whom God had renamed Israel. And his funeral also was a grand event. Now, unlike Elizabeth, Jacob was not born in a palace. He had been born in the tents of his father, Isaac, in a land that they did not own. They only sojourned in. And yet, when he died, this man was buried like a king of Egypt. The Egyptians, we read, mourned him for 70 days. And that is only two days short of the 72 days that were required for mourning for the death of a pharaoh. And his funeral, which started in Egypt and proceeded all the way to Canaan, it involved all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. Literally, this was a funeral that was on par with the death of a prince in Egypt. The families of the 12 brothers who attended, uh, with the exception, of course, of their youngest children, uh, also were there. And there was a huge military escort that went with them. And all of this was to bring the body of Jacob to his final resting place with his fathers in the cave of Machpelah, the other patriarchs and their wives, in the land that the Lord had promised would someday be owned by his descendants. Now, Jacob had asked 
that Joseph do something very difficult for him. It was a hard thing to accomplish. And he asked, namely, that he be buried, although he was dying in Egypt in the land of Goshen, he asked that he would be buried in the field of Machpelah, which is in Mamre in the cave of Canaan. Now, that was a journey of over 300 miles to get his body there. And that couldn't have happened, obviously, had Joseph not been in that exalted position that the Lord had put him in. Had he not been the prime minister of Egypt, it would have been almost impossible to do it, to to move a body that far, especially in an advanced state of decomposition by the time they got there. But he was in a position to arrange for a burial under the oversight of Pharaoh. Uh, And because of his position, he was able to ensure that his father's body was mummified. The Egyptians, you know, were the masters of mummification, Uh, the process of mummification. It seemed, I I don't know why, but it seemed like when I was a kid, mummies were, were a really big deal. You don't hear too much about mummies anymore. Oh, well. It's probably because of the, the discovery of uh, King Tutankhamun's tomb. And the, uh, I remember, all of that, although that happened in the 1920s, it was a huge deal when all of those relics uh, visited New York and so on. There was a mummy craze that went on for a little while, even amongst kids. But anyway, the process of mummification uh, took place, in short, when the organs of the body were removed, they were preserved in jars, and the, uh, the flesh itself was mummified by using a salt. They used to bury for a period of days the body in a naturally occurring salt called natron. Uh, The process itself took between 28 to 70 days. And normally, this process of mummification was, was very, very religious. It was a deeply religious ritual. And it was overseen throughout the entire process by priests Uh, who were following Egyptian religious practices. You see, the priests felt that what they were doing, obviously, was they were preparing the body for the afterlife. And they had a very literalistic view of the afterlife. In other words, that uh, this the body uh, would need to be preserved in order for it to function in the afterlife. If it was uh, not preserved properly, it, would be, uh, it wouldn't be whole in the afterlife. And all of the things that they would need, therefore, were going to be buried with them and so on. That was what they felt, uh, wrongly, would happen. And so they prepared the deceased for their version of the afterlife. And even the process of preserving the body involved the casting of magical spells. Now, that process would have been, frankly, repulsive and idolatrous when uh, we're talking about handling the body of this believing patriarch. Jacob should never be subjected to that. And and thankfully, though, we are told in verse 2 that in this case, the embalming of of Jacob was handled by physicians rather than the normal embalmers, uh, and it was not overseen by the priests. Uh, And that process took 40 days, so it wasn't a normal Egyptian embalming. It was rather a simplified process in order to get the body to the place where it was going to rest. And so they formed this, this funeral cortege. Uh, you know, uh, it would have been obviously very different from the, uh, uh, to this day, we still see funeral processions coming. Uh, and I, I, I always try to make them a moment. I hope you do as well, reflection on the way that, that life is quickly passing. I also try, of course, to move aside uh, and to let them pass, to stop if possible. 
and to, uh, to be respectful in that moment. It should be a matter of reflection whenever we here in the United States are faced by death. Uh, we see death far less than many other people in other countries do. They see it on a regular basis in many cases. We try to push it off, but it's a good reminder that as they are now, we will be someday, and that we need to be prepared for that day. And not just in a sense of having arranged our property and so on, but making sure our souls are ready for what is next to come. Well, the inhabitants of Canaan, they were amazed at the sight of this, this funeral train going on. And indeed, from a distance, there were enough people and all of these chariots and so on. It must have looked like an invasion. It's probably for that reason that the Egyptians stopped on the other side of the Jordan River. They stopped on the east side of the River Jordan. Uh, and interestingly enough, because of the, the route that they traveled, it mirrored uh, the, the route that someday Israel would take to enter into uh, Canaan. So by God's providential ordering of things, Jacob ended up entering into the promised land to be laid to rest in much the same way that his own descendants would someday enter into the promised land. We read that the, the funeral procession stopped at the threshing floor of Atad. We're not absolutely certain where that was, somewhere in Jordan. Uh, it's spoken of in verse 10. But the Egyptians stayed there while Jacob's sons then went on to complete the sad work of burying their father within the land of Canaan. But before the group separated, there is an entire week spent by the whole host together lamenting the death of this great man. He was apparently a man who was not just respected obviously by his own sons, but in the 17 years that he had remained in the land, he had become respected in the land of Egypt. No doubt a lot of that was because of the influence of Joseph. Joseph had shown himself to be the savior in essence, in an earthly sense, of Egypt and many of the Mediterranean peoples. But his father also had become a great figure there. So there is great lamentation and wailing amongst both the Hebrews and the Egyptians in this group. They are sad. They are lamenting the loss of this man. And the Canaanites hear it and they, they're moved. They say, this is, a, this is a great lamentation of the Egyptians. And it's so great. And the event is so remarkable that they actually changed the name of the place to Abel Misraim, uh, meaning the morning of the Egyptians. Incidentally, whenever you see Mizraim in the, um, in the Bible, that's uh, the word for the nation of Egypt in Hebrew. Well, after a week of this morning, uh, the family carried the body of Jacob to the tomb. Robert Candlish actually pointed out, it's wonderful. I am so grateful to God whenever I'm, I'm uh, preparing to preach and I'm studying a, uh, a section of scripture to have uh, so many tools at my disposal in the modern age. But one of the wonderful things is the thoughts and the, the cogitations on scripture, the, in, uh, the almost but not quite inspired insight of commentators who've gone before. And Robert Candlish pointed out something that I'd never thought of about this. He says, it is their last look, he's speaking now of the sons of Jacob, it is their last look at the inheritance promised to their fathers. They themselves are to return to it no more. And ages of oppression are to roll on before their children see it. So the last time that Jacob's sons were in this land that they had spent their entire lives in was in the process of burying their father. And then their children would see it no more. Their descendants for hundreds of years would not return to this place, but they would come back almost to exactly the same location when they did enter in. 
Now, one of the things that we see here, obviously, is, and this is something that we, we're beginning to lose. I, um, I am very blessed in, in more ways than I can possibly uh, list. It would, it would take uh, years to, to go through all the ways that the Lord has given me far, far more and far better than I deserve. But one of the things in speaking with other ARP pastors um, that they have to deal with that I don't have to deal with is most of them have aging congregations. The average ARP uh, congregant's age is um, over 67, somewhere into the 70s. Uh, uh, Gradually it's moving in that direction. Uh, Whereas you guys are kind of (laughs) young, especially compared to the average ARP congregation. No doubt that is. Uh, partly due to the, the main occupation of the, uh, the men who, who live here, but uh, it's a young congregation. And so as a result, I have been very blessed in that I do more baptisms and weddings than I do funerals. And many of these men do a lot of funerals, but I do still do some funerals. One of the things that I've seen in the last 21 years of doing funerals is, and it depresses me greatly is a fall off in the honor and the the reverence that we have at those occasions the honor that we we express towards the departed and the reverence and awe that we treat them with it is almost becoming like i hate to put it this way we're moving in a direction that is is dystopian in the sense of you're almost getting to the point where it's like disposing of a body And a funeral should not be that, brothers and sisters. It should be far more than that. We, in a funeral, are not just marking the death of a person and placing them out of sight or getting rid of the body in some way, but we are marking a major point in the life of that person. And we're reflecting also on the life of that individual. They were right to lament the death of their father, Jacob. Here was a great man. He had been greatly used by the Lord. No doubt he uh, had lived a full life, 147 years. I seriously doubt any of us will make it to 147. But nonetheless, his loss is something that grieves them, to no longer be able to see your father, to no longer have this great man dwelling in the land with you. It was a great loss. I don't know the queen. I, I had never had the opportunity to meet Queen Elizabeth. She passed me once in the car and she waved to me. So that was nice. She must have, you know. So I said, oh, look, there's Andy. Anyway. Um, but we, we didn't have that, that relationship. And yet I was saddened. I was genuinely saddened when she died. She was a person who was somebody I respected for many of her stands. She was, she was an example of decorum. She was an example of honor. She was an example of duty, amazing duty, for years and years and years. So somebody I unconsciously looked up to and respected deeply. So when she died, I felt it as a loss. I don't think that the, the generation that, and I have to be careful because I'm speaking of my new sovereign here, I'm, I'm not sure that the new sovereign quite lives up to his mother's great character. But it was a very, obviously, a very difficult, uh, very difficult person to, to follow because she was, although she was a very short person, she was a very great person at the same time, a great monarch. And so, yeah, I felt her loss. It was funny, in Uganda, I, I died, uh, she died as, um, as I was traveling there. All these Ugandans, when they saw my passport, 
I remember this, this young woman at the, uh, uh, as I was coming into the country. She put her hand on my arm. She said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I was confused for a second. And then I, oh, the queen. <laughs> I said, thank you. You know, um, but it was, uh, it was something that, um, uh, that is right. It's right to lament the passing of someone, be they an ordinary individual or be they a great person who's made a mark on the world because death is wrong. I think we forget that as well. Death is inevitable. Yes, absolutely. It's advancing on all of us, but death is wrong. Death is something that was brought into the world, sickness and death, by the fall. And therefore, it is something that we should long to see gone. And we have that wonderful blessing, knowing as Christians, that someday it will be gone. It will be gone for us. But in the meantime, we, we mark the passing of an individual with lamentation. If our Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was about to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, greeted his tomb with weeping at what had happened to his friend, we too should weep when those whom we love and have admired pass on. The respect and honor that therefore we should accord to those who have departed is, is seen here. And it is right to treat those who have lived remarkable lives with great honor. Uh, and they don't need to be royalty to be treated like that. Stephen was just a deacon in the church in one sense. And yet we read that after he was stoned to death and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. When a man who is a figure who is full of faith and vigor dies, it should be a moment that the church marks. It should be lamented that we have lost him as part of the church militant. All the while, though, remembering that he has now entered into the church triumphant. And that where he is, we will go to join him. But still, that moment of passing is sad. Do we not feel sad when we're, when we're parted from relatives for, uh, for a period of time? I know, uh, having seen it afar, not having experienced it, obviously, myself, I've, I have seen what wives have gone through when their husbands have been uh, TDY for several months. Or deployed, even worse, for a year, sometimes longer than a year. I've seen their great sorrow. They know where their husband is. And in some cases, they can actually, you know, through the wonders of modern technology, they can FaceTime with him on a regular basis. And yet the, the not having him there is a great, great pain within their very souls. And so when they are brought back together again, there is great joy. And we will experience great joy, will we not, when we are reunited with our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on before us. What joy there will be. What family reunions will occur in paradise. So while the departed soul, in the case of a death, is, is beyond the reach of, of tears and so on and kisses, it's still right to show our proper respect for their body looking forward to the glorious and joyful resurrection, that hope that we have, brothers and sisters, that the rest of the world doesn't share, knowing that even though this, this mortal body of theirs has now died and is going through inevitably the process of decay, you can mummify them, but all you're really doing is slowing down that process. But we know that someday they will be raised up and that in the meantime, their souls have gone to be where they long to be, if you're a Christian, and that is to heaven. 
Matthew Henry wrote, when we return to our own houses from burying the bodies of our relations, we say we have left them behind. But if their souls have gone to our heavenly father's house, we may say with more reason, they have left us behind. And they certainly would not want to return from where they are now. They are looking forward to the day when they will be raised with new bodies or bodies made new, I should say, made incorruptible and glorious like the body of Jesus Christ. And therefore, in the meantime, we treat their bodies or we should treat their bodies reverently and with honor. Jacob then is dead, but his family treats his body with honor because they are looking forward to just as Jacob was looking forward to in the way that he spoke. I go to be with my father's. And he was looking forward in the same hope that the other patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac, had. He's looking for that day when, because of the work of the promised seed, they would be raised up together. There's a family reunion on the last day when the patriarchs rise from the grave. When they are given the fullness of their salvation at that point in time. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15. It's sometimes good to think of what this is all about. Because Paul puts it at the very center, as he should, of the Christian faith, of the Christian's great hope. And it's something that we should think about whenever we are going to a funeral, whenever whenever we are, with reverence and honor, laying our loved ones, our respected ones, to rest. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and starting with verse 51, Paul says, writes these words. I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter and I'll leave you with this. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable always, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's go before him now. God, our Father, help us to remember that for the Christian, death is not the end. And those bodies that are laid to rest, that sleep in the grave, they are yet united to their Savior. And those very bodies, even though they be reduced to dust, They shall be reconstituted, raised up, made perfect, made as they should always have been if the fall had not occurred. And we will be changed, as we read, in the twinkling of an eye. And how we long for that day, for a day of unending Sabbath, a day of unending blessing, a holy reunion with our friends, our family, our loved ones. Yes, But most importantly, reunion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in heaven, where we will see him face to face and when we will take part in that great wedding supper of the Lamb. Help us to remember these things when we lose a loved one, when we lose someone we have respected and depended upon, or just when someone we knew passes away. Help us to remember and have a right perspective on these things. Oh Lord, we pray this in Jesus' 